Emily Abend, the creative partner for worship at the local church, and you are listening to the Sunday Sermon Podcast featuring the messages from our Sunday liturgy. The local church is a bold and inclusive faith community based in Chatham County, North Carolina. We gather for worship every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in person at Woods Charter School in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and online via Facebook Live and YouTube. No matter where you find yourself physically, spiritually, or emotionally, you belong at the local church. And we're so glad you're here. Our first scripture reading this morning is from Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Find them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an album on your album on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. Our second reading is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter twenty-eight, verses sixteen through twenty. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains to, to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our third and final scripture reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers of power. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might have come and to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood on the cross. This is the word of God for all of God's creations. Thanks be to God. three-year-old Eliza is in that incredible phase of life in which every 10 seconds or so there's a new question. You've been there. When the ice maker drops another load of ice in the freezer or the Amazon truck is backing out of our driveway, she'll say, where'd that noise come from? And, and, and we're in the car, uh, she'll ask, what's this song called? It's a beautiful day. It's always a beautiful day. She's realizing that there are words that she knows, and these words can describe what's happening in her world. Uh, the other day, I got back from a run, and she walked into the room where I was, and she said, what's that smell? <laughs> it was me. It was me. For Eliza and for so many others, the questions are not an end, but they're a beginning, an opening to even more questions. 
Each question peeling back a new layer, inviting a new understanding, revealing a deeper truth, helping to make sense of the world and our place in it. And this is what our new series kicking off today is all about. We're calling it Ask Us Anything. The dog has a question. <laughs> Am I going to heaven? Ask Us Anything. And this series is about creating space for conversation, to hear what's on your mind. We want to give you the opportunity to speak uh, your deep wonderings into existence and know you're not alone in them because questions are at the heart of faith, like oxygen to a flame, right? Questions are the life force that, that helps it grow, that keeps it going. Questions fuel us into a deeper and richer Theology, a more wholehearted life, and just as Eliza is discovering a more vibrant understanding of the world and our place in it. We're in good company because scripture records Jesus asking over 300 questions. 300 questions. Who do people say that I am? Which of these three was a neighbor? Do you want to be made well? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there are so many more. Maybe you can think of some others. So we're just following his lead. And if you have a question you want to ask, you can do so at this website, askusanything.church. That's ours. We claim it, askusanything.church. So you can uh, ask a question there. Should be a link in the online bulletin today for you to do that as well if you have a question. If you don't have a question to ask, there's still room for you. You can still participate uh, by browsing the questions that have been asked so far. We keep that updated daily. Uh, and then voting on which ones we should tackle next. Bad news is that we won't have time to go through all of the questions over these next four weeks. But the good news is we will continue to post responses on this website as quickly as we can, even beyond the four weeks of this series. Our long-term hope is that this website, askusanything.church, becomes a sort of hub for these questions, a place of home for these holy conversations. We're even exploring the possibility, I'm really excited about this, of partnering with other faith communities and clergy leaders to get their take as well and let this be a resource, an important resource for the church as a whole. And I'm so excited about that possibility. But it all starts right here today. You ready? I'm not quite ready to start. I, I want to lay some ground rules uh, first. I want to set some expectations. Um, let's do this family feud style. Uh, say it with me. These aren't answers. These are responses. Yeah, this distinction is important. Theologians have been wrestling with many of these questions for a long time. And so to say that we're going, we are going to answer these questions uh, in the brief time that we have together each week, that would be foolish, a little arrogant as well. Um, and so these are responses, not answers. Which brings us to number two. This is one perspective. Come on. And you don't have to agree. Good job. There's no way uh, that we can say everything that needs to be said in the time that we have each week. And so we're just going to be scratching the surface. And then we're going to try to resource you with other resources and perspectives to keep the conversation going beyond Sunday morning. This is not, to be the, uh, not, not supposed to be a period at, an, at the end of a sentence. This is a semicolon or an ellipsis or whatever you use to keep the conversation going. Anybody else just a serial ellipsis user like me? Yeah, yeah. And we're coming at this with humility, too. We want you to know that we might be wrong. Okay? We might be wrong. Third, and finally, this is not about information. 
It's about transformation. Good job. We're not just responding to these questions so that you gain some more knowledge. It's so that we might receive this knowledge, these these understandings, and apply them to our lives. That they might, by God's grace, transform how we live and move in the world. This is not a seminar. It's a sermon, a conversation meant to transform us. You good? We all good? All right. Let's get into it. This was the very first question we received this week. Are Christ and the Holy Spirit the same reality, or does the name Christ encompass all that is spirit embodied or materialized? (laughs) We wanted to honor this question as being the first one asked, so this is the one we planned for this week. And then on Thursday, this question came in. Please explain the Holy Trinity, especially the Holy Ghost Spirit. If the divine exists in each one of us, would it be inaccurate to say that we are God? Seriously, is this the best you got? (laughs) Softballs, y'all. These questions are amazing. These questions are amazing. But sheesh, so good that we're taking them and actually smushing these two questions together this week into a bigger question, in which we hope will we'll respond to each of those questions and tie up the loose ends at the end. And here's that question that we're answering, answering this week, a question behind each of these questions. We think, what are we talking about when we talk about Trinity? What are we talking about when we talk about Trinity? That's the beautiful thing about being in this position is I can be like, I think what you were trying to ask is this. <laughs> Here's the question I want to ask. (laughs) And while on its face, this may seem like a boring theological question, this way of understanding who God is, God is Trinity, actually has some really profound, substantial implications for us as a people of faith. And as we get into it, I want to share two quotations that might help. The first is from St. Augustine, who said this, if you can understand it, it's not God. If you can understand it, it's not God. And what he's getting at, right, is that God is so big and so beyond our comprehension that if we're able to explain it and understand it and wrap our minds around it, then we're not quite there yet. There's still more. But we don't just put up our feet up and surrender and be like, ah, well, well, well. Instead, we keep going. We, We peel back the layers with more and more questions. Uh, I love St. Anselm uh, in uh, the 11th century who said, ours is a faith seeking understanding. And that's what Augustine is getting at here. Here's the second quotation from one of Leah's professors in undergrad. She shared this with me this week uh, by uh, Dr. Steve Green. If you try to explain the Trinity, you'll end up a heretic. If you'll participate in Trinity, you'll end up a saint. So I don't know about you guys. I'm, I'm feeling really optimistic about the task before us this morning. How about you? This quotation, though, actually serves as both a challenge and a spoiler. More on that in a little bit. But first, I want you to take a moment. Take a moment and just put yourselves in the shoes of Jesus' disciples, his closest friends, and his followers. Put yourself in the shoes of his disciples. You've been, you've been journeying with Jesus. You've witnessed firsthand the miracles, the, the feedings, the healings. You've seen things that you just can't explain. You've heard Thomas call him Lord. You've heard Peter call him Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. Or, or maybe it was you who watched him die, but then heard the stories that he had been raised to new life. 
Maybe it was you whose eyes were opened on the way to Emmaus and the breaking of the bread. Perhaps you heard his command to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and you're like, what does that mean? Maybe you were also there at Pentecost, the sending of the Spirit. Or maybe you heard about it when there was the sound of a violent wind and tongues of fire descending. Maybe you were also able to understand what was being said and could feel that something new was happening when Peter stood up to preach that day. Maybe you felt a peace that surpasses all understanding and it's hard to explain in an unconscionable moment of grief. And then perhaps you remember Jesus' words that the Holy Spirit would come, an advocate, a comforter. You ask yourself, is that what this is? Is that what this is? Stay with me. But let's say you're also coming from the Jewish faith. And if you're not, you know enough to know that Jesus was Jewish. And so you'd either know the Shema by heart or have heard about it. The Shema is the prayer that Davis read this morning from Deuteronomy. Jesus would have known this prayer too. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Is one. In other words, you know that yours is a monastic, monotheistic, not monastic, monotheistic religion. In other words, there's only one God. And yet, how do you, how do you explain Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah? Isn't, isn't he God too? And, and what about the Holy Spirit, the presence and power of God in our very midst? Isn't the Holy Spirit also God? What do you do with this? How do you affirm that there is one God while your experience which for so many of us even still is the driving factor in our beliefs. How do you explain? How do you explain that? Well, your experience leads you to believe that there's a God who's a creator and also a God personified in Jesus the Christ and also a God manifest as the Holy Spirit in our very midst. How do you explain this? Especially when you realize that the word Trinity is never found in the Bible. What do you do with that? It's the same conundrum that theologians have wrestled with for generations. And the short answer is you can't. You can't do it. You can't explain it. And yet, deep down, you know that it's true. And so you try on different ways of thinking about it, different images, like, uh, like a three-leaf clover or, or the different states of water. And yet, for reasons we don't have time for, I wish we did, but we don't, none of these gets us all the way there. They don't quite allow that God could be one God with one nature, one essence, existing in three distinct and yet co-equal persons, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, father, son, and spirit. In many cases, they either create too much distinction between the three or not enough distinction, or they deny Jesus's divinity. Remember, if you try to explain Trinity, you'll end up a heretic. And that's exactly what happened. Many did. The early church wrestled with these questions for the first few centuries after Jesus, and it got ugly, y'all. Hands were thrown. There were excommunications, charges of heresy, you name it. But then, in the fourth century, over two gatherings or councils, bishops convened together and argued it out, talked it out, wrestled, and at long last found a consensus that is pretty much held ever since. They set it on language that allowed for distinction of the three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, while maintaining the unity or oneness of the divine. In other words, 
God is one substance. The Greek is homoousia. Homoousia, one substance, and three persons, heteropersona. One substance and three persons looks something like this. The Father is not the Son, is not the Holy Spirit, is not the Father. The Father is God, is the Holy Spirit, is the Son. Clears it up, right? Everybody understand? In this way, in response to the first question, we can say that yes, we affirm that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the same. I remember one of my professors in divinity school who would say, when you're talking about God, you're talking about Jesus, you're talking about the Holy Spirit. So yes, we can affirm that. And yet, Christ and the Holy Spirit are also distinct. You got it? Everybody understand? Remember, if you can understand it, it's not God. It's a trick question. Because God is mystery. God is mystery. I love how Father Richard Rohr puts it. Mystery is not something that can't be known. Rather, it's that which is endlessly knowable. Mystery is not something that can't be known. Rather, it's that which is endlessly knowable. And that's unfortunate for us, isn't it? Who like our information in nice, neat, tidy boxes with bows that we can tie up. Also nice, neat, and tidy. You Enneagram ones, that's who I'm, that's, I'm referring to you. Um, but we can't do that with Trinity. Sorry, we can't. There's no mathematical formula. It doesn't work out, right? We can't show our work. All we can do, as so many have done before, is rely on metaphors, on images, on analogies to help us get a little bit closer. There's one image, one metaphor in particular that has persisted for centuries, initially put forth in about the 7th century to to, uh, describe uh, Trinity, to help wrap our minds around Trinity. And uh, in Greek, that word is perichoresis. Perichoresis. Literally means to dance around. Perichoresis, to dance around. Peri, like perimeter, is around. Choresis, like choreography, is dance. Uh, um, to dance around, or circle dance is another way of, uh, of referring to it. And this gets us about as close as we can get, as close as possible, to articulating the ways that the three persons of the Trinity can be one and yet distinct. Think about it. In a dance, as in Trinity, there is a giving and receiving. There's a give and take. There's a constant invitation as well, a constant including. Sometimes you lead, sometimes you follow, a constant widening and opening of oneself to another person in a dance. It's dynamic. Perichoresis allows the individuality of the dancers to be maintained, the individuality of the persons to be maintained while insisting that each person shares fully in the life of the two. In this way of seeing... God is both the dancer and the dance itself. And while this still may be difficult to get our minds around, I think what's important to take away, these are the implications, is that, that, that God as three in one and one in three, as Trinity, implies a relationship. God as Trinity implies a relationship, the heart, the essence of God is relationship. This is where the rubber meets the road. Pay attention. This is that big, so what? 
Again, Richard Rohr in The Divine Dance, which is a great book to start with if you want to dig more into the Trinity. He puts it like this. This is an image often used to describe that perichoretic uh, uh, sense of God. But we have the quote from Richard Rohr. He says this, The principle of one is lonely. The principle of two is oppositional and moves you toward preference. But the principle of three is inherently moving, dynamic, and generative. In other words, a God who is three in one moves us beyond an isolated single power for whom we are to cater to its every whim. It also moves us beyond dualistic thinking, either or black and white thinking. But a Trinitarian God, a God who is three in one, reveals itself to us, catches us up in community. In community. And don't miss this. In this God, we can begin to see what it looks like for there to be unity in diversity, in particularity. Three distinct persons in one essence. It doesn't have to be uniformity. We can see with greater clarity that the life God wants for us is one lived out in relationship in which there is a constant giving and receiving, a mutuality, a constant generosity in making space for the other. That's what is revealed when we come to know God as Trinity. And as those made in the Imago Dei, the image of God, which we talked about two weeks ago, if the very nature and being of God is community, is relationship, then it stands to reason, right, that we are most at home, most fully alive, most fully living into who God has created us to be when we are too in community, when we are with one another, our community and the world. It's why witness is one of our core values at the local church. It's why local tables are so vital to our functioning. It's why we're hosting a racial equity fundamentals workshop in just a few weeks. Why we do things like the local Olympics and serve with Cora, and why we gather once a week on Sunday mornings and receive Holy Communion every week gathering around a table. It's all because of who God has revealed God's self to be in Trinity. This is why, in the words of Dr. Green, when we participate in Trinity, when we participate in Trinity, we end up a saint because God is, is inviting us to get caught up in this dance, to share our lives, to open ourselves up to one another, to see the beauty, particularity, and diversity, a unity that doesn't equal uniformity, to delight in the dance and find the life that really is life. That's the good news that we need to hear. It's what we're here for. So before we wrap this morning, there are a few loose ends from the questions that came in, and I want to briefly uh, tie those up in a nice, neat little bow for our Enneagram ones. Um, the first question was this. This is uh, uh, Rublev's Icon of the Trinity. Um, I'll post about it on TLC Plus, our online community this week, because it, um, it's just beautiful. But we've got, um, we should have, yeah, this question. Does the name Christ encompass all that is spirit embodied or materialized? Christ is not Jesus' last name. Just want to go out there and say that, right? Um, it may seem like common sense, and we tend to, to use them interchangeably. Christ is the Greek for the Hebrew word Messiah or anointed one. And so Jesus Christ is a way of saying Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the anointed one. That said, Richard Rohr, in his most recent book, The Universal Christ, uh, makes a compelling case that Christ implies the divine, uh, Christ implies that the divine is found in all created matter. I kind of dig it. 
but I'm not there yet on that. And if you want to talk about it, um, I'm, I'm down for that. So, um, so that's that. And then the second one, finally, if the divine exists in each one of us, would it be inaccurate to say that we are God? Yes, I think that would be inaccurate to say that we are God. We are limited and contingent beings. And I know this because this week I got a weird pimple on my pinky. Um, I'm still losing uh, hair on the top of my head. I'm sadly susceptible to temptation and sin. So I don't know about you, but only speaking for myself here, I know that I am not God. Um, But what I can and do say is that as those made in the image of God, we carry the spark of the divine within us, each of us, every person, period, full stop. It's been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in Romans. And yet, as we grow in the knowledge and love of God, and as the Holy Spirit continues to work within us by God's grace, we are growing in the image and likeness of God day by day to the point at which our wills, our affections, our our likes, uh, all of the things are in perfect alignment with God. It's what we call sanctification, but that's a sermon for another question on another day. Y'all remember that time I said you can't explain Trinity, you can only participate, and then I spent 20 minutes trying to explain Trinity? Yeah, me too. And so I guess the only thing that we can do now uh, is dance, is to join the movement, to get caught up in the flow of Trinity, the divine life, and participate. In the name of our Trinitarian God who is constantly creating, redeeming, sustaining making space for us. Amen. Hey, it's Leah again. If you love what you hear, share this episode or send it to someone who could use a little good news this week. We'd also love for you to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. For more information about the local church, visit thelocalchurchpbo.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at localchurchpbo. Until next time, love where you are.